What would the scenario have to look like today for that same account to affect us the way it would have the people that were there? You are the host. You are Simon. You've invited Jesus to be your guest of honor at a, a meal, and all of a sudden this, this woman uh, with a sketchy reputation in the community comes in. Now, even if you want to put the best construction on Simon's motives, if he was genuinely trying to still sense who Jesus was and still figure things out or assume the worst of him, that the whole thing was planned, either way, for, us to, for this account to hit home for us today, we might need to replace that, that sinful woman with somebody else that would perhaps ruffle our feathers just a little bit more to impact us the same way. For Simon, it was a sinful woman, but for you as the, the dinner host, who might it be, a, a leading politician of the opposing political party? An, a vocal advocate or a vocal spokesperson who is an activist for social justice? A, a, a person who is a proponent of pro-choice? Somebody who's an advocate of sexual gender identity orientation, confusion, what would it take for, for you to feel about an individual the way that Simon did about that woman? Because honestly, we're familiar with Jesus' interactions and his forgiveness to sinful women in Scripture. In fact, it, it happens often enough that we probably find ourselves sympathetically siding with the sinful woman against that no good, bad Pharisee. And so that makes these accounts call kind of nice and tidy when we come across them in Scripture, as if we totally understand how, how Jesus can forgive that woman and shame on Simon for not, not having that same attitude toward her. But what if it were a different individual that would make our blood boil if Jesus treated that individual, one of those that we mentioned, the same way as this woman? Because otherwise, we're, we're kind of unable to see even the slightest bit of ourselves in Simon in this account. But if it's somebody else that makes our blood boil, that ruffles our feathers, then maybe we can see that at times we are a little bit like Simon. And really, then we can get to the root cause of this habit of his grace, forgiveness, which is to acknowledge that the challenge with forgiveness is not most often how we would like to frame the issue, as if the problem is with the sinner on the other end, instead of realizing the problem is with the sinner on my end. See, when we readily embrace that, then we recognize that we are the challenge, that, that when we compare our inability to forgive, our, our likeness to Simon, our sketchy, selective, stingy forgiveness, then we realize that we deserve no forgiveness from Jesus because of our inability to forgive others, because we struggle with others, because we prefer to hold a, a grudge, because you show in your own behavior and I show that we aren't deserving of heaven. And furthermore, that, that hell is not this, this place that is only reserved for the really bad, awful, wretched, wicked sinners, but it's reserved for people like you and me who are so inclined to withhold or selectively be stingy in how we apply forgiveness to others. 
So when we look at Jesus' forgiveness, what it really shows us is how un-Jesus-like we are in our forgiveness toward others. So when we realize and acknowledge that the real challenge in forgiving others is not really them or what they have done to us, but it is on our end and our inability to forgive, then, then we began to be impacted by Christ's forgiveness for us on a whole new level. Like, say, maybe, maybe to the degree of, of shedding enough tears that are substantial enough to wash somebody's feet. Just as the woman was described in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us that as this woman came into that dinner party, as she stood behind him, Jesus, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And you notice the night and day difference between the behavior of the sinful woman and the host of the dinner party, Simon himself. On the one hand, she was, she was well aware her actions demonstrated she had heard the message of forgiveness and she rightly connected Jesus as the source of that forgiveness. She was so emotionally overwhelmed that she just burst forth in tears in the presence of her Savior. Simon, on the other hand, was, was almost so emotionally overwhelmed by outrage at the fact that Jesus would let a sinner like this touch his feet. The night and day difference between the one, the woman, who not only knew her sin, but the joy of forgiveness compared to Simon, who knew neither one. Jesus demonstrated, he pointed out to Simon that this was evident. Even though Jesus can read hearts and, and knew that this woman had the faith to receive his gift of forgiveness and knew what was lacking in Simon, Jesus also made the connection by pointing out that, that actions revealed that forgiveness, or in the case of Simon, a lack thereof. In Luke, picking it up with verse 44, Then he, Jesus, turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus points out that, that the actions demonstrated that she knew that she was forgiven, and that's exactly what forgiveness does. It produces fruit. Forgiveness refuses to remain concealed or, or hidden. It, it refuses not to, to take shape and to take form and to come alive as it did in this woman. In fact, forgiveness is the fertilizer that brings forth any good work, any good thought that any of us have ever been able to achieve. Our entire life of sanctification, our holy living, the, the lives we strive to live as Christians stem from the source of forgiveness, which produces that fruit in our lives. And it is that forgiveness that was the source of this woman's behavior. Jesus pointed that out. He said, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. The world, though, 
puts the cart before the horse. It, it has that switched around, doesn't it? The world and its cheap imitation forgiveness say that, that forgiveness must be earned, that standards must be met, that conditions have to be agreed upon before forgiveness can be applied. So it would wrongly look at this account and say that, that her act of a humble obedience and in service to Jesus, that was what earned her forgiveness. But Jesus says it's the other way around. That's how the world prefers to operate, doesn't it? And often does, determining that, that this must be required, that, that not only must an apology or, or an I'm sorry be expressed, but action also must back it up. And then, only when that criteria is met, only then can we maybe pronounce a person forgiven. That's the world's cheap imitation forgiveness. That's not faith's forgiveness. And we see that kind of forgiveness all around us. About a year and a half ago, a high-profile case, perhaps you recall, uh, of the, the murder of Botham Jean by Amber Geiger. As she was in the wrong apartment and she alleges that she saw this black man and, and she shot him and sadly he died. He was murdered by her. But one of the most, perhaps, compelling takeaways out of that whole court case, and you can still watch this video today, was the footage of Botham Jean's brother, Brant Jean. And as he was sitting on the, the witness stand in the courtroom, he pleaded to the judge after Amber had been found guilty to, to leave the bench and to go and give her a hug. And after making this request, eventually the judge allowed it and he came and he embraced her in a hug and he whispered into her ears, I forgive you. And while many appreciated that, that compelling act of forgiveness, you can read through comments and, and you know the reaction of some to say that, that that's a disgrace, that that was weakness, that she, she shouldn't have been treated by him that way. That's not what she deserved. Because in the world's eyes, she hadn't met the criteria to, to earn or deserve forgiveness. And while we know that is exactly the way that, that God would call us to, to treat others who have, who have sinned against us, who have murdered a, a brother for heaven's sake, and, and to be able to still lavish that forgiveness, still we know our tendency to take the steps up to the judge's seat and, and hold on to that gavel and wait and see and determine if and when we think that somebody else is deserving of forgiveness. And when we do that, we demonstrate that we have missed the whole foundation of forgiveness. That we truly ourselves don't even realize or understand how forgiveness came to be because forgiveness is not based on some standard that must be met. And ironically, sometimes even within the church, we are the ones that are least forgiving to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we justify it by saying, well, Christians, we expect more. We have a higher standard. But where else would Christians expect to, to find the forgiveness lavished on them but from brothers and sisters in Christ? We, we remember, yes, we are Christians, but that does not mean that we cease to be sinners in need of forgiveness from our Savior expressed to us through one another. And when we, when we forget that, we show a pretty weak understanding of the basis of forgiveness. See, it wasn't the woman's actions at all that forgave her. 
It was the floodgates of Jesus' forgiveness to her that prompted that humble act of service to use her own, her own hair, her own tears, her own perfume to wash Jesus' feet in gratitude and thanks because she knew what she had received from Jesus. It was the, the floodgates of forgiveness that prompted that act of love in response. Jesus told a, a short little illustration in this account as well to Simon to help explain where this woman's loving act of humble servitude came from. Luke records that, that brief little illustration that Jesus told in verses 41 and following. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more. A pretty straightforward illustration, and Simon answered rightly, but, but if we're honest, and, and certainly we can assume that, that Simon would probably be in the same boat as us, if we're honest, we would prefer Jesus to tell a little bit different story. The story we would like to hear from Jesus would be the one about the moneylender who extended some, uh, who allowed some borrowers uh, different amounts of money. And those two borrowers, well, they, they weren't able to, to pay all the money back. However, one of them was always on time with his payment. And not only that, sometimes he was early. And sometimes he paid more than he owed for his monthly payment. And on top of that, sometimes he even helped others out in paying their debts. But the other, the other one, the other borrower, well... He had a habit of missing his monthly payments. And not only that, but also coming up short in what he owed. And we prefer to hear the story about that money lender then who is delighted with the one borrower who paid back on time and even above and beyond, but disappointed and displeased with the other one who rarely made his payments on time and, and often fell short. That's the story that we wish Jesus would tell. That's the story we wish we would come across in Scripture because then it would make us feel good about ourselves somehow doing something to pay back something to God that, that is deserving or worthy of the forgiveness that he gives to us. But alas, there is no such story told like that in Scripture because there is no way that anyone can even pay back so much as a cent to God for the debt that we owe. In fact, quite the opposite. Every account that Jesus tells, every parable or story that deals with, with a, a, a lender, a money lender and borrowers always has the same point in mind. It always revolves around the money lender canceling or forgiving the debt. Martin Luther rightly said, Wir alle sind beggert. We are all beggars. Now, my German might be a little bit fuzzy, but the English is clear, and we all understand exactly what he's saying. We are beggars when we approach Jesus. We have nothing in our hands. And if we forget that, and if we approach Jesus with even the slightest air of, of arrogance, even the slightest expectation of earning so much as a crumb from him for anything that we have done, 
we are always going to be underwhelmed by what we receive in return. But on the other hand, when we approach him with humble hearts as beggars with our hands open, pleading, begging for anything that he will throw our way, we are always overwhelmed by the grace of his forgiveness to selective, stingy forgivers like you and me. That he has still canceled that debt of the grudges we bear and the forgiveness we withhold. And it will always overwhelm us when we rightly expect nothing from him as beggars. And that in turn will always lead to our overwhelming others. As we then extend this habit of his grace, forgiveness to them in turn. I started by asking you to consider who other than this sinful woman you might need to imagine in this account for it to really hit home and to see a little bit of Simon in yourself. But I don't want you to, to be done listening, watching today and, and, and depart with the idea that, well, yes, I, I am a Simon, so much as I want you to relate to the other individual in this account, the sinful woman, because that is who you are. And if you are the sinful woman, then that makes you also the forgiven woman. And that is what we want to leave today with. The words of Jesus, the assurance of Jesus, the words that he spoke to that woman, that on a daily basis we long and we crave to hear from our Savior, to hear him speak to us just as he did to her. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And in that peace, lavish that forgiveness on others as well. Overwhelm them through your show of loving forgiveness so that they might see in you a glimpse of the overwhelming forgiveness they have in Christ. Amen.